enlightenment. I speak understanding. I speak light to the darkness tonight. Any lie that is being believed as a truth, Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal what your truth and what you say over it is in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I don't have this, this verse on here, but I want to start off with it. And it's John 10, 10. And you've heard it before. And it is, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And as I did a Greek study on that this week, that he comes to kill. But that steal is the Greek word that you give it up. So if he can't kill it in your life, he's going to take you to a point to where you just give it up. To where you feel hopeless, that you feel like that you just can't, you can't carry it anymore. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus Christ came to give us an abundant life. And we, last week, man, we talked about that, that Jesus defeated the works of the enemy. And that he came to give us an abundant life. And so what we are going to talk about tonight is how to walk that abundant life out. You know, I was thinking that, you know, what we're going to talk about tonight necessarily isn't isn't at first a feel-good message. Okay? But it's just like when you go to the gym and you sweat and you do that workout. Does it feel good? But (laughs) to the odd Heather over here, but to the majority of us, you know what I mean? Does it feel good? No. Do the results of it feel good? So that's what tonight is. Tonight is we are going to take a look at some things, and I promise you that the result of it is freedom. So we're going we're gonna to jump in. I want to start with the story of a goat. There was a man, and he had this goat, and it was his favorite goat, and he loved this goat, and it was his pet goat. And the goat loved him back. And in the middle of the night, he got a phone call, and it was his neighbor. And he says, he said, John, I have some bad news. Somebody killed your goat and threw him in the ditch. So John got up, and he got in his truck, and he drove down the road looking in the ditch, and he saw his goat, and he got out. And when he got up on the goat, he realized that his pet goat wasn't dead, that somebody had tried to steal him, And they tied his legs up. And he was just sitting there in the ditch all tied up. So he reached down and he untied untied his goat, untied the legs to free him. But he wouldn't move. He wouldn't get up. He tried to show him he was free. But he had already stayed bound up there. And it took him picking his goat up and helping him walk. For the goat to realize, oh, I'm not tied up anymore. And so that's what's happened with you and I. Is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he, he took the rope off of us. But, but we seem to not realize that we are in freedom or how to operate and walk in that freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So last night I want to do a review. We talked about the foundation. I'm going to read Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It's on your paper. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Yet it had, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and 
does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a crash. So in Matthew 7, 24, we realize how important it is what you're building on. What is your foundation? Is your foundation on the rock, which is on Jesus Christ? Or is your foundation on the sand? And uh, last week I showed you this picture about, it's a very dramatic picture, but it shows you of building our house on the rock and building our house upon that sand. And I had told you that my husband deals with some real estate. And so we have some rental properties, some flip houses. And when we go look at a house, and especially if it's an older house, the first thing that he looks at to see if the foundation is bad is if the doors were shut. And if the doors don't shut, it makes you think the foundation has shifted a little bit. And then we go to look and we see, are there cracks? You'll see some cracks in on this house right here. We'll look at the brick. We'll look at the outside. We'll look at the walls. Are there cracks? Because the cracks in the walls show that the foundation, there might be an issue there. So as we, there's some cracks in the walls there. So as we think about that, I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about, is my foundation upon the rock? What it, and when I say foundation, my beliefs, my actions, is it upon, does it align up with the word of God? Am I standing on the rock? Because, you see, your enemy, the devil, he is prowling around. And he is looking for someone to devour. And so if you have some cracks and your door is wide open because your foundation is not upon the truth that God put in his word for us, then he is looking for an open door. He's looking for a crack. And that's why we have to, we have to make sure that our cracks are closed. Um, you see, the enemy cannot penetrate into your life if there is no crack. Because when you invite Jesus Christ to come live inside of you, he fills you up and his protection is around you, okay? He over, Jesus overcome the enemy. And so here we are. But when our foundation gets jacked up, when we're not standing upon Christ and the word of God, then we put, we're put some cracks. But I want you to know that the enemy tries to attack you. He cannot... He cannot penetrate into your life if there's not an open door. So that's our goal. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. There you go. There's a promise. He's going to protect you from it. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and the will. Hold on. Let's go back. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we have commanded. So he's saying, hey, God will protect you, and I'm confident you're going to keep obeying him. I'm confident you're going to keep those doors shut, and you're going to keep those, that, those cracks because your foundation is upon the word of God. Um, another one is James 4, 7. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we understand the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is roaming around. He is looking to see where the door is open, where there is a crack. Jesus is the rock. And our thoughts become our foundation, okay? So what we believe 
Stick with me here. What we believe determines what our foundation is. I'm going to explain that. Jesus is the rock. That's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 is so important. We break down every thought and proud thing that puts itself up against the wisdom of God. We take hold of every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Satan knows if we will agree with his lies. Satan knows that if we agree with his lies, it's like building our house on the sand, guys. So he is trying to get you to believe his lies. And that is why our thoughts are so important, and we're going we're gonna to look into that. So if our foundation, as already stated, is not on Jesus Christ, then the door is open, the cracks are there, and the devil's strategy to, uh, to crack your walls. There we go. Your house on the sand. I thought it was a cute illustration. See, the sand is sin. That's the point I was trying to make, is that when we believe anything that does not line up with the word of God, it starts with a thought, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but your thought determines your feelings, your feelings determine your emotions, and your emotions determine your actions, and your life is your actions turned inside out. So your thoughts are important because everything starts with a thought. So the... Uh, going the wrong way. All right. So... Temptation. So what the enemy is going to try to do is if he comes to you and he sees that he cannot penetrate into your life through a door, through a crack, he is going to bring temptation into your life. And we're going to look at a few ways that the enemy likes to bring temptation. Number one in our mind, and that's what we were talking about, is James 1, 14, and 15. Number two is the world, and number three is the flesh. So we're going to talk about the enemy's temptation comes through our mind, it comes through the world, and it comes through our flesh. Um, I got ahead of myself. Sorry there. Hold on. Okay, so every thought you think is not your responsibility. Every thought you think is not your thought. Sometimes the enemy puts a thought inside of your brain, okay? So every thought that you think is not you. Sometimes the enemy puts a thought in there. And I love this quote, you are not responsible for your thir first thought because the enemy could put a thought inside of there, but you are responsible for your second thought. You are responsible what you do when you, when you realize that that thought is there and it doesn't line up with Christ. And so that's why it, we have, uh, that's why we have 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And it says that, that we are to compare every thought. Uh, we, we are to take it captive and we are to hold it up to Jesus Christ. And if this thought does not line up with Jesus Christ, what does it tell us to do with it? It tells us to throw it out. Because the enemy starts in your mind. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it is all through scripture how Jesus encourages us to renew our mind, renew our mind, renew our mind. Take the thoughts captive. So your mind is so important and, and the enemy will come through your mind and he will drop thoughts into your mind. 
And so it's, it, it gets a lot easier as you start to be aware that every thought is not your thought and you start being aware of your thoughts. So as you're thinking, you're aware of your thoughts. Does this line up with Christ? You're, I'm stupid. Does that line up with Christ? Well, that's not me. That's, that's not Christ. No. So we're going we're gonna to take that, I'm stupid, and we're going we're gonna to tear it up and we're going to throw it in the trash can in the spiritual realm. And then we're going to say, what has God said about you? He says, I'm a masterpiece. He said, I'm a, I, I'm a virtuous woman. That means I am wise. I am enough. And you start speaking those things of yourself. So the next thing that the enemy, so he comes through our mind to break down a wall, okay? Because if we will buy onto that thought as truth, all of us have some thoughts that we're thinking and we are believing as truth right now that is not the truth. And if we will agree with that lie, the door creaks open. The crack comes up. And oh, and remember you have a, the devil's roaming around and he's like, oh, they bought it. They took it as truth. There it is. I see the crack. So another one is the world. And I just want to recap on last week, if you weren't here, is that I talked about how I saw a scripture that said, Satan is the prince of the world. And then I saw another scripture that says, the earth is the, is the Lord's and everything in it. And that was confusing to me. So when I dove in there and I studied that, the world means systems, okay? So Satan is the prince of the systems in this world. And that is how he's gonna, he tries to get into our life. So Satan is the prince of the world. So that means that he is the prince of the systems, the culture, society, the orders, uh, fashion, education, entertainment, government, religion, anything that has a system, he is the prince of that system. Now, we also know that the scripture says that Jesus said, go out into the world and to preach the gospel to every creation. So we are to go out into the systems. We are to go out into the world and to be the light and to, and to preach the gospel. But we also need to know and be sober-minded that this is the tool that he is using to break your wall down, to open your door. And in our world right now, I would say that he is using government, education, um, he, he is using um, all of these systems to get us off track a little bit and to put a little fear inside of us. He, uh, he's doing things like, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? He's bringing conformity because the scripture says, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. But, but we find ourselves conforming, don't we? To the world. That's his goal. He wants you to conform to what the news says. He wants you to conform to that show that you're watching. He wants you to conform and he wants fear to come in. So I just think it's really important that we understand that the evil forces will use the world to tempt us, to get you to question God, to bring fear, to compare yourself to others, to try to conform your beliefs. Guys, we got to go back to the word. And it, does my belief, what I believe, does the scripture support it? If the scripture does not support it, just that means that I can't believe it. And I have to align myself up to that. Because it will allow the door to be open. And we won't live that abundant life that Jesus came to give us. 
because of that. So do not conform to this to the world, to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We just need to be so on guard to this. Um, here's what I think about the world. Here's what I think about it. I think conformity happens slowly over time. Think about your grandmother, your great-grandmother. I mean, heck, it wasn't that long ago. If some of the things that were going on right now, if your great-grandmother came back and sat down, would she be shocked? Your great-grandfather. But, you know, we're really not that shocked with it. I mean, yeah, we don't agree with it. Yeah, it's bad. But our heart got, somehow, we just got numbed over the conformity of it. It happened so slow. And you've heard to bull a frog. The way they bull a frog is they put him in a cool um, pan of water, and then they turn the heat up a tiny bit at a time to where the frog never knew he was bold and he dies. So he doesn't jump out of the pan. And that is the illustration that we have going on in the world today. That is how the enemy has got us right there. Oh, it's not that big a deal. And so conformity happens to the world over time, and that is the enemy's tactic right there is that. So the next one, so we talked about your mind. He's going to come in. He's going to attack your mind. Number two, he's going to come in through the world. He's try, going to try to conform us through the world. Number three, he, uh, he tempts us with our flesh. So our flesh is, is, uh, wants to do what feels good. Just if, if our flesh was left alone to make its own decisions, and the scripture says, oh my gosh, it is, it is, is evil. It is, it is, you can't live by your flesh. And so your flesh really desires to do what, is, what feels good. But each one is tempted when he draws, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Okay? So we're tempted when our fleshly desires entice us. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Which just also proves my point that it first starts with a thought. Sin starts with a thought. Because you were enticed. You thought about it. You desired it. And then you sinned. You don't go out one day and just have an affair on your spouse. It doesn't happen that way. You thought about it for a little bit. You thought about maybe how you deserve to be happy. Or you looked at somebody else. And then you started fantasizing about it. And then those things. Then, then you had the affair. And that's how the things happen. Um, so moving on here, Galatians 5 says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And so here we go. This is a list of the acts of the flesh. And this is scripture. Sexual sin, drunkenness, selfishness, greed, violence, anger, jealousy, gossip, offense, gluttony. So as our flesh, left to itself, has these desires, the enemy comes in and he capitalizes on that and he wants you to live by your flesh. Okay. Have you ever lived by your emotions before? Have you ever made decisions on your emotions? How did that work? 
It didn't work too good, did it? Now, when we make decisions on our emotions, on our feelings, it doesn't always turn out to be the best thing. But when we make our decisions on the Word of God and get alone with Him and hear His voice and by the Spirit and being obedient to the Word of God, right? Our spirit woman, because your spirit man and your spirit woman, that's what communes with God. And so your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so what we are supposed to do is live by the Spirit, hear the voice of the Lord, and our mind, our will, and our emotions is supposed to sit down and be a student. And our spirit tells them what to do. So So your soul should be a slave to your spirit. And when that happens then we walk in that abundance that Jesus provided for us. But when Satan, he opens that door and he sees that crack and he's tempting you through sin, through your mind, through the world and through the flesh, he knows he can only penetrate your wall of protection through a crack. Remember, and I think that's the next slideshow here, is that remember, he knows that he can only enter in if he can get you to sin. Okay, there's a cool story. And there was a wicked king named Balak. And he hired a sorcerer named Balaam to go and curse the Israelites. And it's in Numbers 22 through 25. And he says, all right, I want you to go, and I need those Israelites cursed. You know, I don't want them to advance. I don't want them to prosper. So Balaam goes, and he um, goes up to the mountain, and God is there, and he says, you can't touch them. So he goes back, and he says, I'm sorry, I can't curse them. God won't let me. And so he goes back again. And he wants to curse the Israelites because this dude's going to pay him some money here. And it's like, if I'm going to get this money, I've got to curse these Israelites. So he goes back, and God says, you can't touch him. So he goes back, and he says, I can't, I can't touch him. God won't let me touch the Israelites. And so do you know what Balaam did? He couldn't curse him. But he tempted him to have sexual sin with the Mo, Moabite women. He knew that he could cause destruction on them if he could tempt them and what they did is they fell to that they had sexual sin with them and then the next step they did is is they worshiped their gods and a, and a plague fell upon the israelites that is the story of what we're talking about here enemy can't touch you unless you fall to the temptation that is brought around you And so now we look at it differently. Now when we feel the temptation coming on, we should have a holy fear, a reverence to God saying, I cannot fall to this sin. Even though my flesh wants to do it, even though my flesh is crying out, it will open a door for the enemy in my life. And not only do we want to walk in that abundance, but those of you that have children, that have grandchildren in here, if you want to leave a legacy for them, if you want to be that example for them, if you want to lead them to the cross, you can't. You can't because you're responsible for them. You're responsible for yourself. You, you answer to God. And so you should hate it when you see it coming. You should run the other way. You should do everything you can. You should put up boundaries in your life. So I thought that story was, was really, really good to bring home the answer to what we're saying here. So when the enemy comes in, all right, say we fall to the temptation. The door is open. There is a crack. And here's the deal, is that none of us will ever be totally free from all of this. It's a continual walk. 
And so don't look at somebody and think, oh, they got it together. No, we all got our stuff we're working on. So I think that's a false thing that also the enemy comes to tell you is like, oh, you're less than them. You've got so much stuff you're working on. Let's just, let's just pull down the mask and we all got stuff we're working on. Nobody in here is better than anybody else. And if you think you don't, then, then we might need to talk. <laughs> okay, so when the, when, when the enemy comes in and the walls are cracked, one of the places he starts to attack you is through your mind. And so a lot of people might feel confusion. You might not be able to remember scripture. Like you just read it and you tried to memorize it and you go somewhere and it's like, God, I can never remember the word of God. Uh, you feel confused about a lot of things. Um, he attacks your will. So you, have a, you might have a very strong urge to sin. You just can't turn away from the sin. Um, he affects, he uh, affects your emotions. <coughs> so are you, are you constantly negative? And like, I don't want to be negative. Um, but you can't help it, and so you're negative. Or um, hate, fear, depression, false guilt. <clears throat> this was one I really struggled with early in life is... Uh, is I just felt guilty all the time, and I had no idea why I felt guilty. And, it, that when, and I'm going to tell, tell a story to you in just a little bit, but it was during that time, it was like, why am I guilty? Why do I feel guilty all the time? Well, the enemy um, was attacking my life. Uh, anxiety, your emotions can, can feel. And so when the enemy comes in and he is attacking, these are the things that you may be experiencing. Your body, sickness, weakness. Now, I do want to say that not all sickness is an attack from the enemy. The scripture shows that, that it supports cracks in the wall are from the enemy. I mean, us abusing our body can cause a sickness. And so we have to take responsibility for that and make some changes sometimes. It's not like, but the enemy does come and he attacks with sickness. Um, that's why in James 5, 14 through 16, it says if you're at the altar and you're asking for healing, make sure that you go confess your sins one to another so that you can be healed. Because um, we, when we are seeking healing from the enemy, so many times our doors open because we need to deal with some stuff and that he's attacking us. Relationships. Do you ever find yourself saying things to somebody and it's like, why did, the next day you think, why did I say that? I mean, and that happens to all of us sometimes. Is it continual? Are you continually verbally abusive? And um, relationships are destroyed. So he comes in financially. Accident prone can be another area that he comes in. So not every single problem is sin related. I do want to point that out. But sin does give access to the enemy. Okay. So we have to be aware of that. And so as we look, we have to know that we talked about last week is that God placed all things under our feet. So as we check our wall to see if there's cracks, to see if, see if there's doors open, that the, that the enemy is trying to penetrate in, the good news is we have authority. We have authority over the enemy. And so when we see, okay, I see these things in my life. I see me struggling. I see, I, I believe the door is open. 
good news. And if you remember last week, we talked about Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. And so we said Jesus is the head, the church is the body, and all things are under the feet. So that means you have authority over all things. When I very first started understanding that there was a demonic realm and that there was oppression from the enemy and, and all of these things, we had a dear friend, his name uh, was Glenn Bond. A few of you may know Glenn, but Glenn operated in deliverance. And he told me one day, he said, Kelly, the easiest thing to do is cast out the devil. And here I am, this is all new to me, and I'm like, oh, I mean, my brain just kind of like, but now I understand what he was saying. The easiest thing to do, because the scripture supports it, if you want rid of it, Jesus gave you authority over it, right? And so he has to leave. He has to leave. And I'm going to expound on that in just a second, and you'll see where I'm going with it. Well, heck, we'll just go there right now. <laughs> The, so, so he has to leave, but, 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 that's the good news. The good news is we have authority over the enemy. And so really, um, casting out a demon is pretty simple because we have authority. Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. But the problem is, is if you don't close your walls up, he's just going to come right back. And he's not just going to come right back, but he's going to bring seven of his buddies and come right back. And that is in Matthew 12, 43 through 45. I think that's on. Uh, okay, I'm going to read that. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through a rid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it founds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be in the wicked generation. So, yes, we have authority. We, the, casting, uh, casting the devil out, the evil spirits out, is yes, we can do that. But if you do not close back up your walls, then you're going to be in worse shape. And that's why as you go praying for people, if you find yourself praying for people, you can't just leave them with casting out the evil spirits that's tormenting them. You, you can't do that and walk off or you're leaving them in a place that is going to be worse because they need to understand what we're going to talk about tonight and that's the repentance and that's repairing up the walls. So it's just like this. If I, if I called you and I said, listen, I bought some new furniture and I need you to help me move my old furniture out because I want to move new furniture in. So you come over and we work all day. I mean, I bought new furniture for my whole house. So we take all the furniture out. We put it in the garage. And boy, it took a lot longer than I thought. And nighttime came and it's like, I am too tired. I tell you what, go ahead, go home. We'll just do, we'll put the new furniture in tomorrow. So you go home. Well, the kids come in and they're hungry. So I cook them something to eat, make their plates, but there's nowhere to sit. Well, it's not going to be a big deal if I just bring a chair back in. So I'll bring some chairs back in. Well, now it's time for bed, and they don't have a mattress or a bed. Well, I can just drag a mattress back in. It's going to be all right. Before you know it, you've drug all this junk back in because you didn't replace it. And so when we, when we sweep the house clean, 
when we get rid of the enemy's attacks on our life, you have to fill your house back up. You cannot expect to walk in freedom that if you don't fill that house back up. And so what that means is that you taking some time out and getting alone with God, making a list, asking God, you know, to show you these, these things you need to repent of in your life. So you're going to make a list of things in your life that are sin, that are, that you're, that are lies that you have agreed with, and you're going to write it down on a piece of paper. But the, the thing is, is that you've got to find some time to be alone with God and allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to that place. And you're going to write these things down on a list. And after you write these things down, here's where the magic is, okay? This is, this is what we've came up to tonight, is that we're going to confess. I confess anger in my life. And confessing means um, I'm guilty. I acknowledge that sin. I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm not going to say it's okay. It's sin, and I'm guilty. And I confess that I have sinned. And then we're going to renounce it. And this word freaks a bunch of people out because it's a big word that we don't talk about all the time. And people really don't know what that means. But all renounce is, is I, I disown that. I don't have any association with anger anymore. Anger is not a part for, of me. So I confess that I have had anger, but I renounce the hold of anger in my life in the name of Jesus. And you want to use Jesus' name as often as you can because that's where all your authority comes from. Number three, we want to make sure that we don't have unforgiveness towards anybody. We release that because unforgiveness can keep the door open. And so we're asking the Lord, is there anybody that I need to forgive as we're going throughout this process? We're going to release, we're going to forgive, and then we're going to rebuild the wall. Remember when I said you can cast out the demon, but if you don't rebuild the wall back up, he's just going to come back seven times with his buddies. And so that means is I'm going to obey. And here's what the word repent means. You probably already know this, but when you repent, repent is a U-turn, okay? So when I'm repenting from sin, here's sin, I'm going away from sin. I'm going away from anger, whatever that sin is. Repent is not crying at the, at the altar, although sometimes it's great to have an emotional encounter. But I've been to churches where people just cried at the altar, and next Sunday they cried at the altar, and they didn't repent. They didn't turn from it and pick up their authority in Christ and live a victorious life. They stayed in the crying at the altar. And so we want to get up, and we want to obey. But wait, there's more. And that more is... I want to talk about strongholds because when there is a crack in your door and you have lived with it long enough and the enemy has brought his forces in and he's made you believe the lie, then he had time to build a fortress up. A fortress is like a, that stronghold up. And the reason he builds a stronghold in your mind is to prevent you from recognizing it's sin. So some of these sins we know is sin. But I want, you to, I want you to know that there's some areas in your life that you may not recognize as sin because you have a stronghold. 
Because the enemy has come in with his buddies and they brought their boards and they brought their concrete and they built up this big fortress and they hid behind it and you did not recognize it as sin and it protects the breach because they want to keep the breach open so they can stay. They want to keep the door open. So that stronghold is inside of you and it's like a smoke screen and you don't even see it. You know, you've been around people before when like everybody else saw it and they didn't see it. Well, that's probably happened to you too. Everybody else saw it and you didn't see it. It's happened to me. And so we, we would rather God show it to us, right? And so when you're making that list and um, so strongholds, it no longer, this is good, it no longer seems wrong. You have no motivation to deal with it. Okay? And no, you're not convicted of it anymore, really. Because once you ignore the alarm clock of conviction, it gets softer and softer and softer. And so it no longer seems wrong. There's no, no motivation to deal with it. If you want to get rid of it, you feel powerless. And so that's what a stronghold will do to you. So here's some examples of what strongholds will tell you. It's just how I am. It's God made me this way. I can't change. I can't help it. Well, everyone else is doing it. I deserve it. God doesn't want me unhappy. There's been lots of marriages broke up because I deserve it and God doesn't want me unhappy. A lot of families broke up. I'm only saying what is true. It is normal. God can't use me. And so as those voices come in with those strongholds, that it makes it just seem okay, or it makes you seem powerless that you can't do anything about it. Now, we're going to make our list. We're going to go back to that place. But this time, when we sit down with the Lord, we're going to say, God, if, the, I, if there is any strongholds inside of me, if the enemy is hiding anywhere uh, if he, is, if he is holding on to me with any lie that I am believing is truth, please reveal it. God, is there any lie that I'm believing as the truth? Reveal it. And so then you're going to start adding some more things to the Lord. You're going to start realizing there's a few more things that you didn't see because strongholds always hide. And as we're making our list, it's important to ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal all this. Now... Strongholds mean that it's been there a while, okay? And in the book that I'm teaching out of, if anybody wants to do a dive in, it's amazing. It's called Set Yourself Free. I brought one with me tonight. You can take a picture of it. You can order it. I do it like yearly. I do a parasite cleanse yearly, okay? And so you can come, and he compares this stuff to parasites on the inside of you. And some parasites, see, it had been a long time since I'd done a parasite cleanse, and there were some parasites that lived there a long time. We all got parasites. We all need to do a parasite cleanse a couple times a year. Oh, seriously. Some of your problems may be from parasites. Um, they can cause depression and some other stuff. But um, just like we should do that, we should also regularly be looking, do I got any spiritual parasites inside of me? And so as, we're, as we are, as some of, those, some of those parasites or whatever, those strongholds that have been there a long time, your brain is neuroplastic. 
And neuroplastic means that your brain can like change in forms. And so when those strongholds have been there for a long time, it puts paths inside of your brain. And you have to rewire your brain after a stronghold. Carolyn Leaf, she's a scientist, she's a Christian, she studied the brain her entire life, and actually I wrote a book several years ago inspired by her, and my book is on how to rewire your brain. Um, she says it takes 21 days to break, down, to break down a thought, a lie, and it takes two more cycles of 21 to replace that to a new formed thought in your brain. So that's 63 days of taking the word and counteracting that stronghold. So we take the stronghold, and then we say, what's the truth? Because the stronghold's always a lie. So we go to the word, and we say, what is the truth to that? Oh, the truth is, I am patient. I am kind. I'm not angry. That's not who I am. That was a stronghold. Anger was a stronghold in my life. And so now I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I'm writing scriptures down about that, that um, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and he has given me all the fruits of the Spirit. You confess that all the sp fruits of the Spirit are in your life. And so you start reforming your brain. I am peace. I am kindness. I am joy. I am gentleness. And so... You just For 63 days, you make these uh, confessions of scripture over your life, and it reformulates the pathways in your brain, so now you believe it. But if you don't go back and rewire your brain with this, and I'm telling you, I have helped so many people with this, and the only people that wanted help that didn't get help were the ones that wouldn't say it out loud. They said, well, I said it in my head. I don't know why, but it takes out loud confession all your senses getting involved. When your brain hears your mouth speak and it says who you are, it starts to believe it. Just like when your third grade teacher may have told you you were stupid. Your brain is like a computer or you had an abusive parent and they spoke over these horrible things over you that were not in line with God. Your brain took that in as fact because your brain's like a hard drive. And so what it takes information, and like if I typed in my computer, Kelly is stupid, my brain's not going to say, whoa, Kelly, you're not stupid. No, it's going to take it as fact. Your brain operates the same way. So if you lived a life of, of verbal abuse over somebody, then, it, then we have to also speak those things over ourselves. Trauma. Um, I, I am the same way that when I'm telling you to write these things down and go to the Lord over it and you renounce it and you repent, of it. I mean, like, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit showed me this without me really knowing this. I just knew I had to get it all wrote down. And I wrote down things that I didn't even tell a human being that, uh, that happened to me in my life, you know, and put down the trauma on a piece of paper. And it's like, I don't know what to do with this, God, but I give it to you. And I need you to shine your light on it, and I need you to heal it. And you know what happens? He shines his light on it, and he heals it. Years ago, when, um, when I was just stepping into this move of, of God, I went to a revival. And there was a man from South Africa. Many of you maybe heard the story before, but I want to add to it. And he said, if anybody wants a prophetic word to come down front. So my heart started beating. And I never got a prophetic word, but I knew that night that God was calling me to the front. So I grabbed my husband, and I grabbed my little boy, and I stood in front of this man 
And I just knew I was supposed to be here. I didn't know what was happening, but I felt God. And um, so I stood there. And he looked at me, and he said, well, let's pray. So we bowed our heads. And he said, the first words that came out of his head was, Lord, the enemy is tormenting this young woman in her mind. And you say it's under the blood. And at that moment, I experienced deliverance. I experienced a warmth from the top of my head all the way to my feet. Because you see, nobody really knew that I was being tormented in my mind. That I believe I had demonic oppression on my life that was tormenting me. I felt guilty all the time. It was, my, my, it was like a slideshow in my head of every bad choice I'd ever made. And he just put it on repeat. And that's all I could see. And I felt like God was calling me. And it was like, how could God call me when I've just messed up so much? And as I stood there and, and as he spoke that over me, I just felt the washing of the Lord deliver me from a demonic attack on my life. But when I went home the next day and I sat at my kitchen table, the Lord impressed in me, if I wanted to keep it, then I better get in that book word. And so for about four years, I dove into the word of God. But for a short time there, I knew a, a big problem for me was my mouth at that time. And so, <laughs> and so um, I went, it's before Google, and I went to the concordance of my Bible, and I wrote down every scripture of the mouth, and I put it on my mirror. And as I was brushing my teeth, I read that I'm accountable for every careless word that comes out of my mouth, that the power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I started, I would write scriptures down on index card, and I would put it in my pocket, so that way I could pull it out several times a day, and I could read it, so I could memorize it, so I could fill myself back up with it. And I got free. But I filled myself back up. It would not have been enough for Brother Boynes to lay his hands on me and to speak over me and me be free if I didn't go back home and rewire my brain. So as we are ended up here, we make our list, we confess it, we renounce it, we forgive, we replace, we recommit to Jesus. Confess, renounce, release, rebuild the wall, obey. Rebuilding the wall means obedience and filling back up. And we're going to recommit to abiding in Jesus. So as I end up here, I just want to tell you that don't look at this as a formula, although this is a formula. <laughs> don't look at it and forget about God's love for you. Because, because this outside of God's love... It, it, it doesn't work. God loves you so much. God loved me so much that he drew me to the front of that room to be prayed for. God loved me so much that he beckoned me to my kitchen table to fall in love with the word of God. He put people in my life. God loves you so much. And the enemy wants you to think that you're less than or that you feel guilty or, you know, shame on you. Shame is, a, is, is something he brings in. He tempts us to sin, then he slaps you with shame. But God said, I love you so much. My love is so deep and so wide. You cannot run away from my love. Nothing can separate you from my love. Because when I put Jesus on, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, and that you accepted him into your life, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. 
No matter what, if you have, if you're a Christian and you have accepted Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. What I taught you tonight is to live an overcoming life, to live in abundance, to go advance the kingdom of God. How can we go advance the kingdom when we're being tormented, when we got strongholds? And so we want to be free so we can go out and we can live in that. So I just want to encourage you today that it's all about receiving his love and take note of, uh, take note of his love. God loves you so much. I know that was so much information. It really was so much information. But I just pray that somehow God puts his grace upon tonight, his grace upon you, that he's starting to show you things that he's like, I love you so much, let's get this out. So when, he, when we, we feel repentance and we feel conviction, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So um, what do you think? You want to you wanna come back up, Leanne, here? You got anything, Jeremy? You're okay. Leanne's going to come back up, and I know, uh, I know it's late. So if you need to go, you are totally uh, released to go. But we want to we wanna worship a little bit, and um, we want to pray. Guys, if you say, I identify with you, Kelly. If you identify with me, with, I was sitting out in that seat. And my heart was pounding, and I knew that God was beckoning me to freedom. Do you feel guilty all the time? Do you feel shame? Do you feel not enough? Is there a sin that you keep revisiting that you can't turn back from? You do it, and you're like, oh, I hate that. I don't want to do it again. And you turn around, and you're doing it again. God said there's no shame. I brought, put Jesus on the cross, and I want to bring you freedom for that tonight. And so if you want to, us to partner with you in prayer, then um, let's do that. If, if you have need clarity in your life over something, if, if you need, you're trying to figure out your purpose, if you need healing over your body, whatever you need prayer for, um, whoever here is on the prayer team will come forward. If you'll, if you'll stand up, God inhabits the praises of his people. And so we have to get to a place that, that we just want Jesus that we just want Jesus. And so they're going to lead us in worship, and we're going to worship. And, and um, So, Father God, I just thank you for this message. I pray, Lord, that you would just anoint it and that the words that were spoken tonight would just penetrate to the hearts because your anointing is upon it. I pray that you would just get so real with each and every person here of what you're calling them to of what you want to deliver them from Lord God I pray that you would reveal your love right now in Jesus name I pray that you would baptize us in your love Lord God just baptize us in your love let us let us see your love Lord <clears throat>